Welcome to the Course Creator Community Podcast. Your host, Mr. Jono Petrahilos, currently generates over a million dollars a year selling his online courses. And now he teaches you how to do the same. Along with listening to our podcast, make sure to join the Course Creator Community Facebook group. It's one of the largest and most engaged Facebook groups in the space. You'll find the link in the show notes. Anyway, let's get to today's show. Hi, Ryan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Course Creator Community Podcast. I am your host, Jono, and I am super excited because we have an absolute rock star on the line this week. Now, I know I say that about every guest every week, but this person actually is a rock star and she's got the stats and the, the bio to back it up. She's a business lawyer. She's a blogger. She's a coach. And she helps online entrepreneurs legally protect their business. It originally started as a side hustle, but now I believe it's a million-dollar business. So I'm super excited to talk about everything legal. So without further ado, let me introduce the one and only, all the way from Florida, Amira Irfan. Amira, how are you? I am great. How are you? I am awesome. Now, Amira, I gave you a little bit of an intro there. People have probably seen the podcast title. They've got a bit of an indication about what it is you do. Uh, But before we get into that, I'm interested to hear the story. Tell me how you got into doing what you do. Okay, well, it's a long story. I was going to become a doctor, but then unfortunately, during college, my father's business got sued. And it was a massive lawsuit. Yeah, unfortunately, it was a $90,000 lawsuit for not using a contract with the person that he had hired. So we never expected this. And that really just changed the trajectory of my life and kind of forced me to help my dad out with all the legalities and dealing with the lawyers and the lawsuits. As you can imagine, they're very long lasting and they're very expensive. So um, for the entire year, I was helping him out. And that's how I got introduced to law. And it turned out that, you know, I really loved it. I loved the whole idea of helping people. And it just made me realize that there's so many other entrepreneurs, just like my dad out there, that are just not because they're intentionally making mistakes, but just because they're just not aware of things, Mm -hmm. right? So legal stuff is not everyone's cup of tea. And my dad made that mistake just because he didn't, you know, he didn't know any better. And I just wanted to help other entrepreneurs avoid making costly legal mistakes in their business. So that's the backstory. Like, that's what motivated me to become a lawyer, especially a business lawyer. And then after working, you know, 10 years with clients one-on-one in a law firm, one day I thought to myself that, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate that I am destined for bigger things. Like I can help, I want to help more people. And I felt limited with my time, you know, just working as a lawyer, dealing with one client at a time, I felt like I wasn't making the impact that I wanted to make. And so I decided to start, you know, uh, a side hustle, my online business while working full time as a lawyer, and just take that legal knowledge and business expertise into the online space. Because, you know, nowadays, let's be real, like everything is online, right? So if you're not online, you're kind of missing out. And so I wanted to explore that option and help as many people as I could. So that's how I started um, my online business at aselfgrew.com. And I started helping entrepreneurs with products and services. So now instead of uh, just helping one person at a time, 
I created digital products like legal templates that people could instantly download. And this way I could help thousands of people in a day instead of just helping one person. So that was the whole motivation behind starting my business. Let's jump in there a sec, because I'm interested in that side of things. So you're full-time as a lawyer. You're like, right, you know, I want to start this, um, this side hustle here. How did that side hustle like originally start? Did you build a following? Was it a blog? Did you create the, um, the templates first? What did you do first? So, great questions. So I was first lost, just like everybody else out there who's thinking about going into the online space. And I had no technical knowledge. So at first, I, but I love writing, right? So reading, writing, being a lawyer, it just comes naturally. So I thought, you know what, let's start a blog because blogging is another way of reaching people through your writing, right? So I thought, okay, let's start a blog. This way I can educate people, write informative articles on the legal tips for entrepreneurs or the blogging tips and things like that. So that's kind of how I started with a blog. But then, um, you know, I, after that, got into, uh, started a Facebook group. Believe it or not, I had zero social media presence before yeah. starting my blog. Yeah. I wasn't on Facebook, not on Instagram, nowhere. But I kind of started all of that because of the blog. And then I wanted to also work with fellow bloggers um, so that I, you know, so I don't feel so lonely. <laughs> so, so I started my Facebook group and that's how I um, basically got my first few uh, customers or clients because of that close knit relationship with the group members. And then after that, now I'm focusing on YouTube as well and adding more videos. But in the first couple of years, it was really just sitting behind the computer and publishing hundreds of blog posts. Gotcha. Okay. And it's a million dollar business now. Did I read that right? Yes. So through, you know, through my blog, I make money through different ways, right? So one of them, as I briefly mentioned, is through legal templates. I have a whole online store where I sell all kinds of legal templates that entrepreneurs can download um, to protect their business instantly. And then the second way is for to work with me one-on-one. So some people love to ask questions and they want to work with me one-on-one. They don't feel comfortable just downloading stuff and not having that personal interaction. So that's another way um, service that I offer so they can work with me. So that's another way I earn money. The other way the blog earns money is through affiliate marketing. So, you know, uh, promoting other people's products. And then there's the fourth way, which is through sponsorships. You know, I get paid to post on Instagram now that I have a small following. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not as big, but it is something. So, or to publish articles. So there are different ways that I monetize my blog now. Now, I just want to take a minute and let everyone know, if you're a course creator, you've already got a course and it's not quite selling, uh, or if you're still in the process of putting your course together, at the course creator community, we actually have a VIP group coaching program. It's the best program of its kind and the most affordable as well. So if you'd like some extra help and guidance in either putting your course together or selling your online course, I recommend joining the course creator community VIP program. I'll put the links down in the show notes. And I'll also give um, something I see in the online space, um, a bit of an uh, explanation for the listeners. One thing that I think works really well is something where Amir has done where a template that works for a lot of different people. So one thing that I do is I've also, I also run online courses in the fitness industry and it can be the same kind of thing. It's like, here's one workout where, yeah, I could give it to one person, 
but I could also give that to a thousand different personal trainers, thousands of different personal trainers. So I think that's a good business idea as well. If someone's listening to this and you can help one, um, I like to look at it as a profession kind of thing. It's easy for me to look at it as a profession, you know, where it's like, here's one thing that all personal trainers can download. The one thing, you know, whether you help, I know a lot of teachers do it. You know, if someone's a, a music teacher, hey, here's my lesson plans, you know, hey, other teacher, yes. you can go and spend hours and hours trying to figure it out on yourself or for a couple hundred bucks, you can buy mine and you're, you're set for the year. So I like that business model. But um, hey, let's speak about how to legally protect the business. Let's use your expertise here, Amira, while we've got you. Let's just start from the scratch, uh, from scratch. So let's say, for example, I'll set a scenario for you. And if you can let me know kind of step-by-step step what this person needs to do to protect their business legally. Let's say it's a okay. brand new course creator. Let's just say I've got an idea. I'm like, you know what? I want to create this online course. Uh, I go and register for an online course platform. I go, let's just call it Kajabi. I go and register for a Kajabi. Uh, I create an online course. Uh, yeah, I've got a Stripe account, a PayPal, whatever it may be. What do I need? Is that legal or is there something I need to do before I can start selling and, and making money? What's the first thing I've got to do? Yeah, so there are four things to keep in mind and let's go one by one. So the first thing is that you need to have a privacy policy on your the platform that you're using or the website, either one. So if you have a website connected with Kajabi or Kartra, whichever platform that your course is being hosted on, um, you want to make sure that you have a privacy policy on there. And this is legally required. It doesn't matter where you reside in the world. If you are collecting someone's personal information, for example, in this case, your customer's name, their credit card information and all kinds of stuff, you want to make sure that you put them on notice as to how you're going to use that information. And so that's why a privacy policy is legally required. The Second thing, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, Let's the, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you're a legal dummy <laughs> like me, we need to go into more detail on each one of these. So, yes, policy where I usually see that, I hope I've got one on my website. I, I paid someone to do it, didn't do it myself, but hopefully they've done it. I think it's like a little, a little hyperlink right down the bottom of my website, which says, like, you know, privacy policy. And then you open that up and it basically says, we're not going to sell your email or spam your email. Yes. That's what, yeah. that's the privacy policy? Correct, correct, yes. And um, we're not going to sell your information is the, the legal jargon that you need to comply with the California law, the CCPA, so Consumer Protection Law. And so, yeah, it goes in the footer section of your website. That's the so word. if you don't, yes. So if you don't have a website and you're just using um, the, you know, the Javi. sales page on Javi or whatever platform, then you still put it in the footer section. Question, do you need this on every landing page, sales page as well, or is it just your main website? So if you have the website, then your main website, because that's your sales pages are an extension of your site. Mm -hmm. So by having it on your website, it's legally sufficient. But if you didn't have a website, then you would put it on your landing pages. Let me give you a scenario here. Let's say I've got a website. It's on WordPress. I've got a privacy policy on there right? Um, but I also use, let's say, ClickFunnels and I make landing pages on there that aren't linked to my yep. website, right? So yes, I've got exactly. the private folks on the website, but let's say I send someone, you know, a Kajabi link, they, they, you know, it's got nothing to do with the website, same business, but it's nothing to do with the website. Would I need to have that on that ClickFunnels page? Let's take a quick break. 
If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. No, you don't need to have it on the ClickFunnels page, but you will need terms and conditions on the ClickFunnels page. And we'll get to that. That was That's one of the things that you do need. So yeah. for the privacy policy, you don't. But uh, for the terms and conditions for your course or your digital product, whatever it may be, you will need to have that on the sales page. Awesome. All right. Privacy policy. Got it. What's number two? So the number two is the disclaimer. The disclaimer is basically a legal document that limits your legal liability for the content that you're sharing with the world. So whatever your course information is, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff in there, but all of that information can be taken uh, negatively by someone and someone can rely on that information and come after you for legal damages. So you kind of mentioned the fitness um, niche, right? Especially in the health fitness niche, there's a lot of things that could go wrong, such as a physical injury could happen. Um, You could be recommending some supplements or something and someone could uh, suffer a negative consequence. So that's where having proper disclaimers is really, really essential because it's going to limit your legal liability and put the shift the liability onto the student in this case so that they are responsible for whatever they're doing with the information presented in your course. That's so that would be the second thing that you would need. Where does this go, Amira? Is this also a firm? Is this uh, Yeah. So all the three... Yeah, so all the three legal pages go in the footer section of your website. So if you have a website, then put it in the disclaimer, um, the footer section of your site. But also, it's a really good idea uh, if you have the course that somewhere in the beginning of the course that you should put that disclaimer to, just to give your students the opportunity to read it in, and in case someone doesn't get to it on your website. So a lot of people do both. They put it in the disclaimer, I mean, sorry, in the footer section of your site, and they also put it as part of their course or their ebook or whatever the digital product may be. Gotcha. And I'm guessing the wor- the wording is going to be something like, let's just use the fitness niche as an example. It's probably going to be something like, hey, just letting you know, there are potential injuries that occur. If you exercise, potential injuries can occur. Um, you know, here are some of the potential injuries that occur. Just letting you know if you if you you know proceed to go forward, some of these things may occur. Is that I know you may not be able to give away the exact language because that's your IP and that's probably what the what's in the templates that you're, you're providing. But if you could give us a bit of an indication of what goes in that disclaimer. Yeah, no, and everything you said is is great. And yes, all of that needs to go. That's exactly what a disclaimer sounds like and looks like. So you would say something like, well, all this information that I'm sharing with you, it doesn't constitute health or fitness advice. So the key is that none of that should be taken as advice. You should always make it very clear that you're speaking from your experiences only, that these are just your personal opinions, that the other person is solely responsible for what they do do with that information and that you're not legally responsible for any damages, uh, physical, emotional, financial, all of that stuff needs to be clearly spelled out. And to be honest, it's a little bit more involved than just 
we're speaking in a very uh, layman terms right now, yeah. but a, a real disclaimer needs to be written by a lawyer. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a lawyer. It's only it's because there's a lot of legal jargon that we put in there. Like there's limitation of legal liability clause. There is no warranties clause. There's no guarantees clause because you also want to make it very clear in your disclaimer that you're not promising anything. You're not promising any results. Right. So um, you're not promising any kind of uh, just because you're sharing testimonials from your students to sell your course. You don't want someone to rely on that information and be like, hey, I didn't get those results. You know, you want to make it very clear that those are just examples that you're putting out there. Um, you're not actually promising any kinds of results. You're not making any guarantees for transformations. Um, you're just doing the best you can to provide as much inf information as you can. So all of that good stuff needs to be kind of spelled out and the disclaimer is a little more detailed than all of this. And then we also put the legal clauses in there to shift the legal liability and to protect you for any errors or omissions and things like that. Awesome. Yes. And I think I'll, I'll piggyback off why it's important to get a lawyer to do it as well. Like if you're not a lawyer, that's fine. Get a disclaimer on there, you know, but will it hold up in yeah. court? You know, like that's, that's the question. So well and good to have it on there, but is it, does it tick all those boxes? So all right, I'm with you, Amira. We need a privacy policy. We need a disclaimer. What's the third thing we need? So the third thing is actually really important. Actually, all of these are important, but as you as you can see for different reasons, right? The mm -hmm. privacy for the legal aspect because it's required, the disclaimer for your limiting legal liability. And now we're moving on to the third thing, which is terms and conditions for your course and your website. So if you have a website, you still need terms and conditions, but if you have a course, then you definitely need terms and conditions because terms and conditions are the rules governing your content, your course, your website, meaning what people can and cannot do with your content. You want to put people on notice as to your intellectual property that, hey, I created this work. You can't just copy and steal my work. You also want to make it clear what your payment terms are, your refund policy, your exchange policy. So this way you avoid any kind of customer disputes, right? Because a lot of times, you know, customers will ask for refunds. And if you don't have any terms and conditions, then you will be legally obligated to give that refund. And this has actually happened to a couple of entrepreneurs I know that lost thousands of dollars because um, they created a course, but they didn't bother putting any terms and conditions in place. And it was a $2,000 course and they had to refund that money because they didn't even have any legal protection. So you want to make sure that you clearly spell out what your refund policy is, or if you're offering any kind of exchange, then you need to put that in there. If you're shipping something, if it's not a digital product, once again, you need to put those shipping terms in there. So whatever it is, that's why it's important to um, have terms and conditions and also dispute resolution. So if there is ever a legal issue that gets out of hand, you want to be able to clearly specify as to how and where legal disputes will be resolved. So if you're residing in Australia, you need to kind of put that in your terms and conditions. And if I'm in the US, I need to put that in the terms and conditions that that's where disputes will be resolved. So all of those important legal provisions need to be in the terms and conditions. And once again, this one also goes into the footer section, but it also goes on the sales page. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and I know you said there's a fourth one, but before we get yes. into that, am, am I right in saying you're, because I'm on your website now, it looks like you're yes. kind of basic bundle, your, your intro bundle. 
consists of those three things there. If someone does your bundle, they get the, the template for the privacy policy, the disclaimer, the TNCs. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So unlike other lawyers, um, I don't have, um, I don't make you purchase the templates like again and again. So it's free uh, lifetime updates. And yes, that is the bundle, the starter legal bundle. But some lawyers will make you purchase the start uh, terms and conditions separately for a course versus the website. The template that I put together, the one that you see in that big uh, starter bundle that works for all everything. It works for courses, uh, digital products, as well as your website. Now, with that said, I do have a terms and conditions template that's more detailed for courses if someone is interested in that. But if you're just starting, you're good with the template that you see in the starter legal bundle. Awesome. So if you're listening to this and you're getting a headache and you're like, man, I've got to find a privacy <laughs> policy and disclaimer and write all those terms and conditions. Let me watch this a hundred times. Or you can go on Amira's website and get it. I won't mention a price because the price might change by the time someone does it. But for an affordable price, you can get all three of those things there. Uh, all right. So I'm curious. I saw those three coming because I'm obviously on your website. What's the number yeah. four? So the number four thing that you need is an acceptance of those terms and conditions. So basically you need an acceptance of all three, like privacy policy, disclaimer, terms and conditions. And that's really important because it's good to have all of these documents on your site, but if you don't have an electronic consent or an acceptance at the time of the transaction, then they really don't mean much, or at least they don't work in your favor. So for example, let's say that I'm a student and you're selling the course and I am at your checkout page or your landing page and I'm about to purchase the course, you need to be able to have a click to accept option like at the checkout. So I should be able to review your terms and conditions and I should be able to um, electronically give you my consent, which is my acceptance of those terms and conditions. This way, I'm legally bound by those terms, because if you don't do that, then there's that argument later on by the customer or student that, hey, I never accepted those terms or I never saw those terms. So that's why legally um, you should always make sure that you get some sort of a click to accept kind of uh, consent from your customer to make sure that you're protected. And your privacy policy and your disclaimer should be included in your terms and conditions by reference. So by what I mean is you shouldn't, you don't have to put the whole privacy policy or the whole terms uh, disclaimer in the terms and conditions, you should always keep three separate, but at least have a paragraph in the terms and conditions that incorporates both of those documents as part of your terms. So this way, when someone clicks to accept your terms and conditions, by doing that, they have accepted your privacy policy and your disclaimer. I hope it wasn't confusing. I know it was a lot of um, me, well, legal stuff, but I hope it was clear. Okay, so I know nothing about legal stuff. So let me make sure <laughs> I've got my head around this. So what you're saying, and we'll, we'll do kind of summarize all of this as well. I think yes. it's a point to summarize. So what you're essentially saying, Amira, is on your website, there should be three hyperlinks in the footer section. One, yes. the privacy policy. One, the disclaimer. One, the terms and conditions. If you open the terms and conditions, they're going to have a whole heap of different subheadings, you know, what you get, yes. refunds, all that sort of stuff. And there may be a subheading that says disclaimer, click here to check our full disclaimer policy and maybe a sentence or two there. Um, there should be one that says uh, privacy policy, click here to accept our privacy policy. We'll speak about the check checkbox in a sec, but is that what you're saying there with the T's and C's? 
So with the T's and C's, you don't need to have the click here part for the disclaimer and privacy policy. But what, what, what I mean is just the reference is enough, like just a sentence saying that uh, our privacy policy is incorporated into the TNCs by reference and that that's legally sufficient. So if you mm -hmm. wanted to put the hyperlinks in there, you could, there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not required to, you just need to put the student or the customer on notice that by accepting the terms and conditions, they're also accepting the, the privacy policy and the disclaimer by reference in there. So just a little paragraph, again, it's just the legal stuff, but that's, that's all it's needed. Does that make um, sense? Yes, I think so. Now let me get back to the checkbox because this is different to the checkbox, right? What you were saying there. Yes, it's yeah, different cool. than the checkbox. Okay, mm -hmm. so in the checkbox, because I've seen this a few different ways and I'm, I uh, just want to get your opinion on this. So, and I'll make sure I understand it. Let's say I'm going to buy a course, right? I click the button, add to my cart. You know, I'm going to yep. uh, enter in my credit card details. Sometimes there's an actual box that I need to tick that says I accept yes. the terms and conditions. Sometimes that's not there, but there's some wording that you, that's like, you know, by, by purchasing this course, I accept the terms and conditions. Is that what, can there yes. just be a sentence that says by, you know, purchasing this thing, I accept the terms and conditions? Or does there need to be an actual box that I tick that says I accept these? Got it. So in an ideal case scenario, the checkbox is more valid, like more reliable, um, yeah. especially if there's ever a legal dispute, then there's no question about it, right? That someone checked that box. But if oh, I do understand that sometimes these platforms that we use, right, um, could be whatever, Kajabi, Katra, whichever one that we use for courses, sometimes they don't give us that option. So if that option is not available, then the second best thing is what you just said, Jono, is just to put that by purchasing, you agree to our terms, but you do need to put something, right? So okay. that's your second best option. But the ideal case scenario is to go with that checkbox thing. So this way, there is no dispute. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not something that someone can refute. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the final question I have for you, Amira, it's a question someone asked in my Facebook group like a couple minutes ago, actually, and I tagged you in. I think you gave a, a good answer, but I think it's a good um, question. The question was essentially, and I'll summarize the question. It's essentially, yeah. hey, you know, I, I've done someone else's course and there's some really yeah. good stuff in someone else's course that I've learned. And now I want to start teaching elements of that course to my clients. Can I add that stuff in my course and put my own spin on it and change it around whatnot? Um, or is that, you know, stealing that person's IP? Yeah, so that's a great question. So this one has to do with copyright law. And under copyright law, ideas, concepts, or some way of doing something that's not protected, but the actual writing or the content itself is protected. So depending on what is it that you get inspiration from, uh, you got you still have to be kind of mindful of like um, I you know. If it's a con if it's actual content that you want to be able to use in your course, then you should what you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't copy the content because that would lead to copyright infringement. But if it's an idea or something that sparked your mind and you said, "Hey, you know what? I love this concept. I think I can do this better, or I can present this better, or I can explain this better," and you're doing it in your own words and you're not stealing someone else's words, then you are okay. But 
you know, if it's like actually, oh, let me just verbatim copy this paragraph because he or she explained it so well and I can just copy it and put it in my course, then that would lead to legal issues. Does it make sense? Gotcha. Yes, I'm with you. And I'm guessing that's the same with like um, blogs and, and YouTube videos. Like let's yes. say, you know, if I, if I read a blog and I'm like, oh, that's explained really well. If I copy and paste that exact thing down there, well, I'm copywriting. But if I can explain that concept in my own words, then it's okay. Exactly, exactly. And that's why you see a blog post, um, like 100 different blog posts on the same subject. But if you notice, they're mm -hmm. all kind of doing it in their own way, right? So uh, that's okay. But if if I just said, hey, I'm going to write a blog post about, you know, 10 ways to do X, and I'm just going to copy this other blog post that's out there or copy a little bit from here, a little bit from there, then that would lead to copyright infringement. But if I am just kind of liking the idea part of it, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put my own, put it in my own words, I'm going to use my own experiences, my own stories to explain this concept, then that's okay. Just because I stole the idea or the concept, that's not going to lead to infringement. Because as I mentioned, copyright law doesn't protect ideas, concepts, systems, or methods of doing something. Gotcha. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, Amira, that's pretty much all I wanted to ask today. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? Or is there anything you want to, you think a course creator should, should hear before we sign off? So there was another question, Jono, that was asked in your Facebook group. So I would love to address that about LLCs. And this is mainly people who are in the U.S. Good question. But well, let's, yeah, let's here because I see that asked a lot. And I'm like, what the hell is an LLC? So yeah, <laughs> so, yeah if you can give us that breakdown, that'd be good for me too. Yeah, so LLC is a limited liability company. It's a, a business structure here in the US um, that limits your legal liability. So it also separates your personal assets from your business assets. So this way, if God forbid you get sued or you get into a legal issue, your personal assets are protected like your house, your car, your bank account. So people generally form this business structure for that reason alone, because it gives them that legal shield. And it comes with some responsibilities such as, you know, uh, filing the articles of organization, maintaining the LLC, also keeping your personal and business stuff separate, meaning your bank account separate. You can't just be using your business funds for your personal funds because then you're piercing the wheel and that defeats the purpose of having an LLC. So I know a lot of people have this question in the US, especially and even in your Facebook group or my Facebook group where people wonder like, well, when should I form the LLC? Do I have to form right away when I start the business or can I wait and things like that? Because there is a cost associated with it, right? It's not a big cost, but depending on where you live in the US, each state is different. So they all have their own filing costs and stuff like that. So some people don't want to invest the money or the time to forming the LLC if they don't even have a successful business yet. So to answer the question about when to form, I just want to say that, you know, it depends on your risk tolerance. Some people um, prefer to see where their business goes. They wait maybe a few months after they launch to see if there's actually a viable business, they are making profit, and then they go ahead and form the LLC to give them that legal protection and shield. Some people form from the very beginning when they start the business because they're more risk averse and they want to be able to sleep peacefully at night. So they go ahead and form right from the get-go. So there's no like 
right way or wrong way. It really comes down to your preference. And, but in the end, it is one of those business entities that's a lot easier to form and does give you those legal pr protections. Gotcha. And yes, Stuart's listening live and he's given the, the breakdown for the Aussie listeners, which sounds about right. And I actually might ask you, Amira, so here in Australia, what most people do is they start off as a sole trader. Do you use that word in the US, sole trader? Yeah, so we use sole proprietor. So it's gotcha. the same concept. Yeah. yeah. So if you do nothing, you're a sole proprietor. Yeah. And here in Australia, you, you get a thing called an ABN, an Australian um, business number. Is that the same right. in the US? If you're a sole uh, proprietor, you get a, a yes. business number or how does, how does that kind of work? Yeah, you can get an EIN number. So, you know, employee identification, employer identification number with the IRS. So instead of using your personal information, you're using the business uh, identification number. So, yes, you can get that as a sole proprietor or you could get that as an LLC, whichever one. Awesome. Okay. Now that clears Same it up. Same concept. Yeah, names. <laughs> yeah, hundred. Well, it clears it up for me because I, I get that question in another one of my Facebook groups for personal fitness trainers who are usually sole traders, and they're kind of like, right. hey, should I go to a, a company or should I say is it a sole trader? So I, now I understand right. that concept, which is good. Um, right. Awesome. All right, Amira. Well, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover. Thank you very much for your time. For everyone listening, if you want, I'll put all Amira's social media links down below. I'll also put the link to her website. If you want to check out her legal bundles, they'll all be there. Or if you want to work with her privately as well, you can um, contact her. Is there anything you wanted to finish this off with, Amira? Um, yeah. So the last thing I would say, well, first, thank you so much for having me. Um, the last thing I would say is to uh, download my free legal guide that I put together that walks you through the common legal mistakes that you should avoid, especially the three big mistakes. And it gives you more information so that you can have your business on the right foot. And so download that guide from my website. And also, if you have any questions, you can always reach me in my Facebook group. Awesome. And I'll put all those links down below. All right. Thank you for your time, Amira. Thank you so much. Hey, course creators, real quick before we get into today's episode, I've got a little favor to ask. As a lot of you are probably aware, one of my goals for this year is to get this, is to massively grow this podcast and get it to be one of the top ranking podcasts in the, the marketing space. Uh, to do that, what really helps is if I can generate as many uh, ratings as, as reviews as possible from listeners. So if you're a returning listener, if you could take a couple seconds and just give me a, a quick rating and review on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you listen to, that would mean the world, that would mean the world to me. Anyway, let's get to today's show.